0: Welcome to Legal Lore. I am your host, Grant Atkinson, founder of Framework Law Group. On this show, I meet with creatives to discuss their real human stories of entrepreneurship, hardship, and the wisdom they learned along the way. On this first episode, I am honored to introduce Lindsay Mack, founder of Terror for the Wild Soul. She has a heartfelt story to tell of coming from humble roots, To pioneering her way to a thriving business in uncharted territory in the field of tarot. All right, we are now recording, Uh, Lindsay. I am very excited and honored to have you as the first guest on our first episode of Legalore.
1: Thank you so much for having me, first guest. That's an honor. So happy to be here.
0: Of course. Yeah, you are the perfect first guest to have. We have known each other since I think 2017 Mm -hmm. and I have known you to be a wise and kind and gracious person um, and just a genuine pleasure to have in all of uh, our correspondence. So Mm -hmm. I am genuinely excited to hear a bit more about your story today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I know that you are the founder of Tarot for the Wild Soul, mm-hmm. but I don't know anything about how you got there and where you came from. <laughs> so I guess as a first initial question, I would just like to hear your origin story. Who are you and where did you come from?
1: So yeah, I uh I'm from New Jersey, I'm from North New Jersey, about 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. And, um, came from, uh, a family kind of full of, (laughs) um, entrepreneurs and, um, self-starters, a lot of very hard workers and, uh, yeah, went from, um, New Jersey to New York city when I was in my twenties and uh, pursued a career in performance. And it's actually where I met my husband, Chase Voorhees, who you also know. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a theater company together and did experimental performance art for a lot of years. And that's amazing. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then uh, around 2012, I'd say, uh, I started to get really interested in the sort of um intersection between food and emotional well-being. I'm pretty sensitive mm. to what I eat and so mm-hmm. um I'm a trauma survivor and so uh I started to get interested in that. I pursued some education in uh health coaching that led me down a path of sort of mindfulness and um like literally it's just like one thing has like looped into the other i started my my first little wellness practice in new york city with a yoga teacher Mm -hmm. in i think 2013 and then that dissolved about a year later and then tarot came into my life and um i will say to sort of go back in order to go forward Mm -hmm. I uh, bought my first tarot deck when I was 12. I don't remember ever knowing anything about tarot. I don't recall seeing anything about tarot. I don't know why it was interesting, but it was. And um, Mm -hmm. I also don't think my dad really knew what he was buying for me, but he (laughs) bought me very nicely the deck that I saw and some books. And um, I, I used it and taught myself... And had been reading for myself and other people my whole life and not had mm. given one thought in a million years to the idea of doing it on a professional basis, teaching it now. Um, but that sort of skeletal structure is what led me to, in 2014, when I kind of landed in a space of like, I don't really know what I'm going to do, um, tarot came into my life. And it was really the perfect time, perfect situation for me to start reading and then teaching. So, but yeah, Yeah. I hail from, hail from New Jersey and (laughs) Amazing. Yeah.
0: So you came from New Jersey, Mm -hmm. you had a tarot deck when you were 12 that your father bought you that you used. And then you got into some experimental theater with your Mm -hmm. husband. Mm -hmm. You started moving more into the wellness space, um, including a connection with food. And then somehow everything came back full circle into bringing tarot into the picture. Yeah. On that journey, did you ever have any like W-2 employment jobs or was it all kind of your own art and experimenting along the way?
1: Oh, no. Um, I grew up with nothing. And so I have always, uh, I always up until I... Quit my day gig to do tarot in August of 2015. Always had at least two jobs at the same time. <laughs> so oh, most, wow. most of the time, three. And I've done it all. I've been a maid on a private yacht. I have uh, handed out uh, flyers in Times Square in the middle of the winter. Pays oh. really well pays really well so it, when i when i did it it was like 20 bucks an hour so i was like That's obviously great. i'll be there um oh child care like you can't even imagine like eh, secretary work um which i don't even think they call it that anymore it was like you know receptionist obviously administrative assistant personal assistant um I like if it could be done and I felt like I could safely and ethically do it. I did it all. <laughs> like I, wow. I did. Yeah. Cause I didn't have anything. Like my parents didn't have anything. My, I, I didn't have anything. So if I wanted to be on my own um, I needed to have whatever I needed. And also when you're funding and producing your own scrappy theater stuff. It's like, Mm -hmm. you have to pay for it. So, you know, we, we always, um, it was very common to have like a zillion jobs at the same time. But yeah, I think my, my wildest was probably like working on that private yacht. That was pretty crazy. And it's exactly what it sounded like. Yeah. I cleaned, (laughs) I cleaned, um, this, like, I think it was like, Somewhere in the ballpark of like a $20 million yacht. That's what I did. Wow. And like some weekends, um, we had to like go to Block Island and like wait on the owner and like his family and guests. Mm. And um, I have more stories that probably can't be shared about like the kind of stuff the owner used to do. But oh, um sure. yeah, it was I had a lot of jobs of bartending for a long, long time. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, I think those kind of early days service jobs can be so grounding and Mm -hmm. humbling. I know I worked um, at many restaurants when I was growing up on my path and just to deal with all those different kinds of people and people who would kind of put you down or order you or be rude to you and just having to put a smile on your face and serve, but also getting to know good people and just having all those different diverse interactions, I feel like can be a really good foundation to grow to be a grounded person who's humble, but can also do great things with that.
1: I agree with you. I also think I don't want to in any way romanticize, um, hustle culture or like having to, I wish many times that I didn't have to work quite as hard and quite Mm -hmm. as to the bone as I used to have to with so many different jobs. But, um, I uh, I will say it did it did root into me a tenacity that, um, it took me a long time to realize not everybody has had the life experience to kind of root that in them. Like when mm-hmm. things go go kind of wild or go to the wall in my own work from time to time there, I do get feedback. That's like, how do you do this? And I'm like, well, this is a pleasure. This is my, this is my actual work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is is fine, you know, but, um, I totally agree with you. I think, I think that, um, it, it does provide something that that can be transmissible, you know, to like the work you actually want to (laughs) do, you know? (laughs) Um, and yeah, definitely does imbue you with a life experience that's hard to get otherwise.
0: Yeah, I guess whether that is humility or gratitude to get out of that and be grateful for the things you're able to build on your own, it sounds like you've been on quite a journey. And yeah. how how are you then able to transition out of that hustle into building your own business? Was it something that you were able to just quit and start overnight or was it a more gradual
1: process? No, it was really gradual, very strategic, and really thoughtful with a little dash of kind of this grace moment that I remember understanding very clearly, like, this is a really important moment, and I have to take advantage of this moment and not destroy it, (laughs) sabotage it. Um, When I started to read tarot in New York City... um, it was a little bit like riding a bike. I'd been reading my whole life, very different when you're doing it for someone, um, in a professional way that you you don't know them. And, um, I had the fortune of being given the opportunity to start in a shop for like 10 bucks a mm. reading very, very quick. And, um, I loved that because it really gave me a lot of opportunity to read quickly, efficiently, work with different personalities. Um, I didn't make much money, but it was great. And at that time, I had a childcare job with a lovely family, and I enjoyed doing that work. I did that for about nine years. And every evening that the shop would have me, and certainly every weekend, I did these readings. And I remember getting out of my first day of these readings and telling Chase, my husband, like, this is something I could really see myself doing like mm. I, I loved it. And I was like, I want to like do this. And, and, you know, now for anybody who doesn't know this, there are a lot of people who actually like make their living doing tarot or something like it. I'm not saying it's easy. But back in 2014, it was pretty unheard of to like if things have really changed in the last eight years. And so um, I didn't really have much of a framework. There, were, there weren't too many people to look at um, mm-hmm. who were doing this. And so I remember in the back of my head, I was kind of like, well, I don't quite know what this <laughs> looks like, but I'm just going to keep working hard and serving and being available. And the tarot piece expanded on its own. I got an opportunity to read at a wellness center that blossomed into more money, longer readings. Mm. um, Then I moved on to doing it at my house. Now the grace moment came. I had been doing all of this in a dedicated way, but still working as a nanny. And it came when the mother of the child that I was babysitting for shared with me that she was pregnant and that she, because she had a complication in her last pregnancy, knew that she was getting a C-section and basically said, I'm not going to go back to work. So I know my C-section date and I think you should really give this tarot thing a try. Mm. So she gave me almost six months of notice to, Mm get my shit together you know and like (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. work
1: on it and like work with a mentor and all have had a lot of space for fear and doubt and I did not have any savings I had absolutely nothing to fall back on in fact the only thing I had was like I had a lot of ways that I knew I could move forward I was like okay I have still a good relationship with this nanny agency I can get work there if I want to Mm-hmm. i I can do things with clients and and this little base, this pool of people that I've been working with that I haven't been able to do because I have a day job. maybe maybe there'll be some kind of something. Um, I also uh, reached out to a friend of mine and did a trade with her. Um, I gave her a certain amount of readings to essentially write about my work for. Mm-hmm. a blog. And we kind of positioned it so that it would come out very, very um, soon after I quit my job. So I did kind of everything I could do to try and expand my practice, but couldn't really until the other job was gone, which was very scary. So it it was Mm -hmm. like, I knew that I had done everything I could. Um, luckily, those things paid off, and I wound up very quickly, like having almost too many people. Wow. Um I, I think like the vacuum just created a lot of room, and I was, you know, I worked hard. I let people know that I was available. when the bookings were there, people wanted to book, which was great. Um, so it was definitely a leap, but I think it was a smart. Educated <laughs> leap, mm-hmm. you know. I I didn't have much to fall back on though, so it was it was a leap. Knowing like I had to work really hard to just say it's not failure if it doesn't work out. It's never mm-hmm. failure if you need to get a side gig. It's just not. You're just we're just going to try this and we're going to see what happens and and um, you know, again, it was vulnerable and scary, but wound up working out pretty well.
0: You are very brave. Thank You're- you coming into this totally untested market and then having the audacity to claim it for yourself and say, this is going to be how I'm going to make my living without necessarily something to fall back on. And you made it work.
1: Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Thanks for, (laughs) thanks for recognizing that it was hard. It was very scary. It really was.
0: And so how did you go? So you were doing readings out of this space And Mm -hmm. you had this blog post and that was sufficient marketing to bring in enough clients for you to be secure without any other employment at that time.
1: At that time, yeah. At that time, Chase was working um, for uh, another, like he had a job. And so Mm -hmm. what, what I was bringing in... I don't remember if it was exactly what I was making as a childcare provider, but I do remember it being within about a month or two, pretty, pretty damn close. Like we were okay. We knew the baseline Mm -hmm. that we needed to hit. Um, and we, it went up and down for a really long time until I did my first course in 2017. And that was, I think made an amount of money that was shocking to both he and I at the time um, where he actually started to say, maybe I can quit my job. (laughs) And Mm. I was like, maybe, so it was, yeah. But at the time it took a couple of months to get to a place where we're like, okay, like we're meeting the minimum that I have to meet for us to have what we need here. Um, And that was again, amazing, you know,
0: amazing. yeah, yeah. I know that when I quit my law job to start Framework Law Group, I mm-hmm. went months and months and months without income. And when there yeah. finally was some income, it wasn't much. And I was doing some side jobs on the side just to make ends meet. But it's a scary time to have your bank account in such peril and dependent on you succeeding in an entrepreneur journey. So totally. at this time, it sounds like you took a leap from providing services out of the space to launching your own course. Tell me
1: about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So I, I don't know what made me, I don't recall at this. I, I knew that I had, I had been teaching people, um, privately and had the idea. Maybe I could do like a video course like maybe people would be interested in this. It was certainly um, something that I knew except like Marie for Leo's B school. And there were were a couple of people like in my orbit, definitely who I was seeing them do it. And I thought maybe we could do it too, because again, um, well, not again, I haven't mentioned this at all, but (laughs) chase my husband um, Mm -hmm. is uh, an AB person. He's an editor. He's um, so, Uh, he was willing to like film some stuff for a couple of days, edit it for me. Um, but it was really scary because I wanted to pay him, but had to wait (laughs) until like, I knew what it was making, uh, what Mm -hmm. this course was making. And I had I had absolutely, absolutely no idea how to do a course like this and got, um, the name of this lovely person named Amanda, who actually introduced me to you. Mm -hmm. And she helped me out. And um, she proposed a fee that was more money than I'd ever paid anyone at that time. And I remember being like, can I pay you out of what I make? And thinking like, well, the very least Amanda will get paid. (laughs) You know, maybe I can like Mm -hmm. break even and just like pay the people who are helping me to do this. And so it was, it was, again, a huge leap of faith. I had no idea if people were going to be interested. I didn't, I didn't know. Um, but it wound up being a a, like pretty nice for the first year. Um, again, just stabbing in the dark and just, um, just trying to like put something together. And, um, there were things about that launch that were, I would say it was, Really successful, totally across the board, although there were failures within the success and and, um, huge learning curves. And, um, you know, but yeah, so
0: I can imagine, as you know, I just launched my first e course, and Mm -hmm. it is such an undertaking to create all that content, get it to a level where you are happy with it, and then to somehow reach enough people to have them take part in the value that you created and get them on board. So how, how did you go about marketing this to bring in enough people to get you to that place?
1: Well, the first round there's since been multiple rounds. Um, but the first round, like, I think again, I didn't have much in my, I was like, if X amount of people do it, I'll make enough money to pay back everyone who I need to pay so I won't be in debt. And Mm -hmm. maybe if I'm like lucky, I'll have a certain amount left over for myself. So my, my, like, it was extremely low. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised. Um, in terms of, um, I think what really helped that first round was to be honest with you, like, Instagram was still you could still actually market on there like mm-hmm. the al—the algorithm I can't discount that like the algorithm hadn't yet started to really crush entrepreneurs and make it so that you kind of had to pay so mm-hmm. um it was a beautiful looking course it was very professionally done um we had like a nice trailer we had a uh, just a couple of people who had much larger followings than me very graciously speak about their experience with me and chatted up to some folks, um, and it wound up being enough that a couple hundred people joined in that time. It was a low number, wow. yeah, a couple hundred. And I think to the subject, people wanted something clean and clear. That was about tarot. I mean, even to this day, there aren't really that many really well-made courses about tarot. They're out there, probably some great ones that are still working to be, but the market again, it was, there weren't a ton of them. So I think people liked it. It was interesting. Um, yeah, it surprised me. To be honest, to be honest with that's you, that's amazing. Yeah, it surprised me. It really did. Um, the numbers, I, I, I the numbers of my courses have gotten larger to the point where um, a couple times I've been like, I don't even know where these people are finding this, but uh, mm. I think it's just the tarot of it all. You know, it's it. Yeah, I've I've done other courses that have nowhere near the number that that one did, mm-hmm. and um, it's the subject matter like some people just don't want to take courses about certain things or they know they have to, but, um, or it's the opposite. They're like, thank God, this is, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't know what it is about that one, but, um, I marketed, I mean, I did everything from ads to talked about it constant, pretty constantly there for a couple of weeks, probably too much. Um, The key that I found was just, I really live my practice with the tarot. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that I, I feel deeply. It's very intimate and personal to me. And I think that is clear. And so Mm -hmm. I want for people who are interested in this tool to feel like they don't, to feel as intimate as as I do with it, to feel mm. um, like they are fluent in their own language with it. And I do think that that's what my course aimed to do right off the top. And that's something that a lot of people want. And so I think that was something that I was able to communicate very effectively in terms of like what the course was doing.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So you were able to present some authenticity Mm -hmm. and some real value and people resonated with that. And obviously it worked because that was not just the one course you launched. I believe you've been updating that and creating new courses ever since. Mm -hmm. How many courses do you have
1: now? Well, that one in particular, which is uh, called Terror for the Wild Soul, I believe has undergone about five four or five different redos and now is like set um but I have I think one two three I think like four big multi-module courses and probably about nine workshops that just sort of exist um And I have too many ideas for more. (laughs) Like I have all the ideas and none of the time, none of the energy, who knows. But yeah, I have, there are quite a few that have been created at this point.
0: That's amazing. So Mm -hmm. you are no longer in the shop reading tarot. Your focus has been on these e-courses. Are you providing any other services outside this or are the e-courses the focus now?
1: No, just the e courses. I was reading um, until the very, very, very beginning of 2019 when I just, it was just a no and I, I just couldn't do it anymore um, and stopped to try to teach full time and that was the right thing to do. Um, I'm hoping that I can start pivoting a little bit more to books soon. Mm. Um, that's something that I feel pretty drawn to. I I haven't, my coursework has been so huge that I like books haven't even, I've had interest I've tried, but like it, it's such a big undertaking and it took a lot of years for me to get clear about what I'm, what I'm saying. So like Mm -hmm. redoing the courses has actually really helped to refine my teaching's what i stand for what i how i feel about these cards and so um it's been really helpful but right now just courses hopefully different things <laughs> in the future but yeah
0: and i think that's a good segue to hear briefly just how do you feel about the cards i think a lot of people might have certain impressions of what Tarot might be, or what it is, or isn't. Mm-hmm. What is tarot to you?
1: So, tarot to me is um, a set of archetypes that, when um, utilized in particular ways, can really reveal and bring us back home to ourselves um, in moments when we really need a tool. To anchor us. Um, There's a lot of things that I think other people have gifts with, with regard to the tarot, um, and that there are some things about the way the tarot is used that are not necessarily my thing, nor do I think they're particularly useful, ethical, nor do they really work. But... um, Would you care uh, to specify? Well... Um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for people who, um, you know, well, I'll speak for myself. I do not understand, nor do I see how the tarot can tell the future when the future is not fixed and we have free will. Hmm. So, um, I don't read tarot for the future. It doesn't make any sense to me that way. And it never has. And I think that there's a tremendous amount of fear and manipulation and misunderstanding that can come when we have an automatic response that these cards are being pulled and it's like, well, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Um, and I don't believe that that's true. And I I think that, um, there's a different way of looking at them, which is that, well, this is an invitation. Mm. And how might we see it for us instead of to us, a suggestion merely because it's not predicting anything. It can't, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I wish there was a way (laughs) to know, but there just just isn't. So uh, the way I, I look at it is that it is really a tool, visual tool to help to bring us back home to ourselves. And The tarot really, like the deck, not to put the deck down, the deck, it's just cards. I mean, you can buy them in a bookstore like me, you know, it's, it's us if we pick them up and if we're willing to say like, I'm moving through this thing and I'd like to know, is there anything I'm being asked to pay attention to around it? Is there Mm. anything I'm being asked to know? Is there like, we can weave in any kind of communication or language or anything we want to around that. Um, and then we pull a card and we just see like archetypes are, they're pre verbal, you know, they're since time immemorial. We all understand archetypes in a lot of ways. And um, I think with a tool like this, it's important to remember that even in the books written by the experts, by the historians, they're still trying to frame these energies through a a lens of human bias. So there's, Mm. there's stuff, right? Like there's some, this card means disaster. Well, why? Who said like, can you, I remember that was, that is the thing that is different about the way I work because I, I, do remember being 13 14 years old and pulling cards for myself like before school and mm-hmm. reading about them and thinking well this is like pretty dire and then I would like go and live my day and come home and think hmm that didn't happen so I wonder <laughs> is this just sort of a an assumed thing that's being just sort of passed along without a whole lot of thought to it I wonder what would happen if I sort of listened to the card. So um, you asked me a simple question. I branched out a bit, but no, that's sim- great. simply put um, it's just, a, it's like a mirror. There are archetypes mm. that are a mirror and they really, uh, I believe when you go to them with a certain kind of intention, reflect only the best back to you reflect only helpful medicine even when the cards are a little spiky or a little bitter tasting, as opposed to sweet. Um, so, yeah, I I think like they're they're they can be very helpful in terms of being a tool to help us be with what is, rather than what we might want or prefer or even be afraid of.
0: Hmm. That is a beautiful perspective. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Thanks for asking.
0: Of course. And so we have talked about the feel-good story of you rising up out of the hustle, taking a brave leap, and making it all work. What were some of the harder or uglier or darker parts along the way? I know there was certainly the financial fear of -hmm. when you made that leap, and then things miraculously came together. But even along the way, even in the building when things were going well and you're having hundreds of followers and subscribers to your courses, what were some of the hardships you faced, if any?
1: Well, I want to just name in full transparency and because I think these things are important. Like I still actively face challenges like all the time. (laughs) So I think Mm -hmm. it's gone from fuck. I hope I make it over this hill look at all these people doing all these things. Like, how am I ever going to get there to now? What if I'm forgotten about what if people don't care what I have to say anymore? What if I'm like, a mm-hmm. has been like, so like, it's just it's mm-hmm. like the same song, just like a different band playing it. Um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just want to say that. Um, but yeah, you know, um, gosh, so many things. Um, Certainly, the responsibility of being a facilitator and a teacher um, when you're trying to do the best you can and Mm -hmm. you're being held to, uh, and it's a great thing, but a very high level of responsibility by your students um, and sometimes an inappropriate level of like you're expected to know everything or you're expected to never make a mistake or mm-hmm. you're expected to understand and not really be a person actually to just sort of be an all-knowing you know that that can be hard but it's a part of the the privileges of the job um certainly the fear of failure is huge um mm-hmm. I'm a survivor of abuse and have PTSD and fibromyalgia mm. and lots of, um, other like chronic pain. And, uh, mm. it's hard sometimes to, um, weather moments where I have messed up, like it, you know, mm. um, it's hard to uh, feel okay. Sometimes it feels hard to, um you know certainly you've helped me out with this, but like uh a lot of plagiarism and a lot of like mm-hmm. getting ripped off and like there's there's a lot of there there are a lot of things that come with this work that are really challenging um and certainly money is a big thing because i mm-hmm. i do really i mean i'm very blessed and very fortunate and very you know there's there's wonderful abundance. Um, there's also expenses in terms mm-hmm. of taxes and paying people. Cause I take pride in paying the people that work for me really well, um, that I never, uh, ever anticipated would be as much as they are. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. like, um, and then there have been times where like my team has been too small and I haven't really understood that I needed to branch out. There have been times where it's been too big and I've needed to scale back. And so mm-hmm. pretty much like everything, you know, there's, <laughs> there's been like, you know, there's, um, moments of, of horror of like, Oh my God, I should not, I can't believe that at this point I, I, I shared this or I felt this way about a card. And Oh my gosh. Like, I, I, you know, how can I go about, being in repair and being really transparent about that. I've heard folks and, um, you know, the fear of like even making like boner moves sometimes like not realizing, um, like way in the beginning part of my, my course making journey, like I needed to get permission from deck makers. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, and and there, (laughs) there are a lot of people who, um, their, they, their, their business journey is, is their community is smaller. It's excited, but it's, it's a little smaller. And so they don't know. And so it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And as you grow, you know, all these different other things come up and, you know, rise. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's like, oh gosh, there are so many, it's just, um, Yeah. There are so many. And, and like the last thing I'll say is like, I think too, there's like just some days that are just really hard. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you really want something to go well. Like I was just sharing this on, on an interview the other day that, um, that was talking all about intuitive business and they had a question about like, how do you deal with disappointment? And I was like, to be honest with you, like, I don't know any other way than like The first day is like, I just kind of have to give myself space to be like, if I want to be like in bed in the dark for a day, like Mm. I'm going to do that, you know? And, And I don't know that people would necessarily think I'm still having days where I'm like in bed in the dark, but it does happen where I will be just so disappointed by something or disappointed in myself. So just... There's lots of challenges, you know, and lots of things along the way um, that, yeah, still persist, but they're a little bit, it's much less of a rocky road than it was before, to be sure.
0: Yes, I can relate to a lot of that. Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. No, it is not. And yeah, and in the early days, the fears and the letdowns might feel more existential. um, But as you grow, they do continue and yet as you know you make more money then you have more expenses you're still <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: on a rocky road and then people do look to you i i very much relate to the notion of the responsibility to deliver on the promise that you make to all yeah. these people i every day i'm talking with all these entrepreneurs who put their faith and trust in me that i will handle their business. And I'm absolutely here to give it my all and do my best, but we are all human. So there's always Mm -hmm. that risk of an accident or whatever. So there's, there is a lot of responsibility and pressure that comes with that. Well, I think we are just about out of time for this episode, but are there any final words of entrepreneurial wisdom you would like to share with the listeners, those who might be in the early days of trying to start their business or maybe at that halfway point where things are still just getting crazier and crazier, what would you have to say to them?
1: It's really, really cliched, but I am going to say it anyway that, um, to just keep going because it really is, I don't know if, about your experience, but there is constant rebirth in this work. And as soon as you think like, wow, this piece isn't working. Um, Mm -hmm. you kind of have a whole death rebirth process and like, I'm just coming into that now myself moving into parenthood for the first time. And my congratulations, thank you so much. My business, when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, well, we're fucked. Because I was like, I can't, nothing about what I was doing was in any way, shape, or form uh, compatible with having a child, not in terms of the schedule or the time. And it took, I would say, just about the full nine months to try and completely reshape and restructure. And it's better now. It's better. And if I'm being honest, I was really not as nourished as I would have liked to have been. So whether someone's sort of at the nitty gritty beginning, which is Mm -hmm. those days are so brutal or in the middle where they're still trying to figure it out and get their footing or at a point where they're doing really well, like there's always going to be something, even if you're no matter what level you're at, that invites you into a space of total, because your business is, Kind of alive. It's it's like its own entity, and you're both kind of growing together. And so, um, I would say just keep going because even if things feel really plateaued or really stuck or really hard, um, whether you have to get some supplemental work, whether you need to take some time away and maybe come back with a totally different viewpoint, um, all that's great and okay. But um, I do think. Um, Yeah, there's always growth to come. We're never done, Mm -hmm. I don't think, even when it seems like we are.
0: I could not agree with that wisdom more. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lindsay.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. To learn more about Lindsay Mack and her offerings, you can visit her website at lindsaymack.com. Or tarot thewildsoul.com and you can follow her on Instagram at wildsoulhealing. This has
1: been Legalore.